You're going to love this. Just love it. We will see about that. Why? Why did I? I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Not scared. Got three other blockers in the room. I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am stuck in the middle with you once again. <clears throat> Live. In Los Angeles on Pacifica Radio's KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, 91.7 FM on the Oregon Central Coast on KYAQ, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app. On the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn, on Netroots Radio, on Indie Media Weekly, and of course on iTunes, this is your Bradcast. Put on your bread bags. I'm Brad Friedman of bradblog.com, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me. We'll see if the other three people in the studio today with me live agree. We are talking about the State of the Union address last night uh, with President Obama's approval ratings soaring of late for some reason which uh, perhaps one of you will explain to me in a bit. Uh, he gave his speech with a theme of middle-class economics. We will have our own State of the Progressive Union right here with a panel of three of the uh, nation's finest and feistiest, perhaps, progressive bloggers and journalists. You may know all of them, but I won't tell you any of them until I'm done, so you have to stay right there. Uh, they are right here in studio with me. Also, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report will be here a little bit later, as usual. With the, uh, with the news that 2014 was the hottest year for the planet uh, in recorded history. And uh, Desi, I think this may be our grimmest green news report ever. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, it's a good teaser, though. Stick around for the grimmest green news report ever. Uh, all right. Uh, last night, President Obama laid out his vision for uh, his next, his last, his final two years in office his fourth quarter, as he likes to call it, and beyond in the State of the Union address, marks somewhat of a return to the populist themes focused uh, that he's focused uh, primarily now on lifting the middle class, middle class economics, as he branded a number of policy arguments that he says are meant to restore fairness to the great bulk of the nation's citizens. The occasion, he said, marks a new beginning for the country after years of war and economic woes, all of which, the president said, are finally beginning to move beyond us. We are 15 years into this new century. 15 years that dawned with terror touching our shores, that unfolded with a new generation fighting two long and costly wars, that saw a vicious recession spread across our nation and the world. It has been, and still is, a hard time for many. But tonight, we turn the page. Tonight, 
After a breakthrough year for America, our economy is growing and creating jobs at the fastest pace since 1999. Our unemployment rate is now lower than it was before the financial crisis. More of our kids are graduating than ever before. More of our people are insured than ever before. And we are as free from the grip of foreign oil as we've been in almost 30 years. The shadow of crisis has passed, and the state of the union is strong. I knew it. Breaking news. The State of the Union is strong. The president went on to tout successes of the economic recovery since he took over the White House amidst the Great Recession six years ago. And he called on Congress to pass legislation to ease pressure on the middle class, including expanded access to affordable child care, maternity leave, paid sick leave, equal pay for women, raising the federal minimum wage, two years of free community college for all, more job skills, trainings, programs, etc. To pay for all of this, he called for raising taxes on the wealthiest 1%. Class warfare, of course. Am I right, David Dickman? Uh, and closing inheritance tax loopholes. President Obama also focused on infrastructure to boost our economic competitiveness, calling on Congress to invest in infrastructure like other countries do. Uh, he uh, scolded the Republicans for focusing, quote, on a single pipeline, a reference, of course, to the Canadian Keystone XL tar sands project. He called for Congress to give him uh, fast track approval authority for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, although I don't believe he ever said the name TPP, did he? Uh, he said he was committed to a free and open Internet and expanding access to faster networks and highlighted research and development investment, including upcoming uh, manned space missions and Quote, turning sunlight into liquid fuel. I'll have to figure out what that means later. On the foreign policy front, he focused on the diplomacy, uh, on diplomacy as an alternative to military intervention. He called on Congress to pass a resolution authorizing use of force against ISIS or ISIL, if you will. He warned Congress he'd veto any sanctions on Iran. Uh, he ridiculed those who gushed over Vladimir Putin, saying that Russia has now become marginalized. He claimed, quote, we respect human dignity even when we are threatened. Citing his prohibition on torture, he called again for the closing of Gitmo, asked Congress to pass cybersecurity legislation to help ensure no one should be able to invade our property. I'm sorry, our privacy. Property is a different matter. He said, uh, quote, no challenge poses a greater threat to future generations than climate change. He touted his successful deal with China to cut greenhouse gas emissions, the need for the U.S. to lead on the upcoming International Climate Treaty, and promised he would, quote, not let this Congress endanger the health of our children by turning back our efforts for clean water and clean air. Finally, he focused aspirationally, perhaps, on what he called a better politics, calling to respect uh, rights of women and LGBT families, the right to marry. Uh, I believe he's the first president to say the words lesbian, transgender, uh, or bisexual in a State of the Union address. He called for immigration reform, for making voting easier, a counter to the uh, influence of dark money in politics, and vowed to work with Republicans on areas where they agree. 
He then admitted that his hope of a less divisive America, as he famously called for in his uh, first national speech back in 2004 at the DNC in Boston, uh, that that had not yet come to pass, even getting worse in many ways since he's taken office. But he urged the nation and its cable news networks to somehow go beyond the scope of partisan bickering to focus on facts rather than gotcha moments or trivial gaffes or fake controversies that have nothing to do with people's daily lives. So the question for those of us here tonight is how we, all of us, can better reflect America's hopes. I've served in Congress with many of you. I know many of you well. There are a lot of good people here on both sides of the aisle. And many of you have told me that this isn't what you signed up for. Arguing past each other on cable shows, the constant fundraising, always looking over your shoulder at how the base will react to every decision. Imagine if we broke out of these tired old patterns. Imagine if we did something different. Understand, a better politics isn't one where Democrats abandon their agenda or Republicans simply embrace mine. A better politics is one where we appeal to each other's basic decency instead of our basest fears. A better politics is one where we debate without demonizing each other, where we talk issues and values and principles and facts rather than gotcha moments or trivial gaffes or fake controversies that have nothing to do with people's daily lives. Fake controversies. Imagine that. Uh, I am joined in studio today, very delighted uh, to have uh, three of my uh, favorite bloggers uh, in the universe, who all happen to live in Los Angeles, by the way. Uh, John, what does Sean Hannity call his uh, uh, panel? It's the All-American... The All-American All-Stars. Right, All-American All-Stars. <laughs> it's the All-Los Angelinos All-Stars, which sounds vaguely immigranty, so that's good, too. Uh, <laughs> Heather Digby Parton joins us. She's also known as Digby from Digby's Hullabaloo blog. She's a contributing writer to Salon and the 24 recipient of the Sidney Hillman Foundation's Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism. Uh, welcome to the broadcast. Thank Heather. you for having me. Do people call you Heather or Digby these days? Either one is fine. Okay. Uh, I'll use both. David Dayan, formerly known as D-Day. What do they, do they still call you D-Day? No, please no. don't. Okay, I, I will. Uh, he's uh, <laughs> from the uh, news desk. At, Not a problem uh, there. At Fire Dog Lake. He is also now a contributing writer to Salon.com and has written for The New Republic, The American Prospect, The Guardian, Huffington Post, and Politico. And finally, uh, John Amato, the great, what do they call you, John? Don't Lots answer that. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, he's founder of the uh, great and infamous Crooks and Liars blog, which Time Magazine described in 2009 as one of the 25 best blogs in the nation. Uh, welcome all and Top glad to that. have you all here. Yes, Top right. that. See there? Uh, oh, also, Desi Doyen is with us as usual. She's co-host and managing editor of the Brad Blog's Green News Report. She's the producer of the Bradcast and an occasional guest host on The Young Turks. Welcome one and all. All right. So you guys will straighten me out here. Um, because I, I, I hate to disappoint listeners, but I was uh, I was all ready, as usual, to uh, dislike everything about the speech. 
but uh, I actually kind of liked it. So uh, I hope you guys will uh, disabuse me of that. Uh, But before you do, uh, let me ask you this, and at risk of making the entire rest of the hour irrelevant. uh, Does the State of the Union address actually matter anymore? Uh, And did it ever? Hmm. Uh, Well, um, yeah, I'll go first. Uh, It... You know, I don't know if it matters in the sense that it, you know, it, it, it propels any kind of activity that, you know, results in in policies. I don't know that I, I can think of any time when that actually happened. Um, it does provide for um, a lot of it does provide for a lot of, uh, you know, common, you know, commenting among the pundit, you know, the punditocracy. Right about what the agenda is. I mean, if you have it come after a crisis like we did in, uh, you know, after uh, 9-11, for instance, mm-hmm. George Bush went before the country and declared the you know war on the axis of evil, and it kind of set the tone for what was to come for a long period. I don't know that the actual policies he talked about in that speech were as important as the tone and the kind of uh, agenda, gathering the country together, all that. Having said that, I think that this speech actually did do something that was kind of unusual in that I think that it it I liked it too as you did and yeah. I'm not normally a, a big you know I'm not one of those people who bursts into tears every time Barack Obama starts talking. So, uh, you know, it's not it's not normally something that mm-hmm. moves me and I can't even say that the speech moved me particularly, but I was uh, very taken with the idea that he's taken a turn uh, it's the, you know on the on the populist side uh, the proposals and the way that he was framing the, um, the you know the economics mm-hmm. I think is different than what I've heard from him he didn't go on about the deficit last night he right you know and in previous years he has talked about it endlessly this was not a subject that he that he decided to tackle and it very annoying to the right wing by the way they were really upset they didn't uh, I think George Will was on. Uh, on Fox News, lamenting that he'd never mentioned Simpson Bowles even once. Oh, yes. I mean, if you can believe that. Oh, can you believe uh, it? I know. Uh, hmm. So, you know, so that was good. And I think also even on foreign policy and, and national security, I think he kind of, he, he put a different emphasis on things. And what that does, the reason that I think it was important is that it's setting the stage. He's a lame duck president now, essentially. Um, it sets the stage for the Democratic agenda going forward. And I think he's setting the stage at a leftward uh, position than it was before. And I, I'm hopeful that it means that, you know, when, when we get into the campaign, which is we're happening, well, we're already into the campaign. The, the um, 2016 campaign. Yeah, we're the, already the 2020 there. campaign. I or mean, the whatever. 2020, yeah, right, whatever. exactly. Um, so I'm just hoping that, that, you know, that this is, you know, sort of the, you know, it's a starting point that's further to the left than I would have expected from him and that I what I think what the Republicans may have expected. So I think that's interesting. And for right-wingers listening, uh, when uh, Digby says uh, starting point uh, further to the left, <laughs> it's not to the left. It's just slightly... slightly to the left yeah. of center. Uh, John Amato, uh, do you agree with uh, the idea that there was a different tone last night? And if so, what would you attribute that to? Yes, I do. It's great to be here with you, Brad. Good to have you. Um, <laughs> I, I also I enjoy the State of the Union addresses. Yeah. I think they are important and they're fun to cover. And there's also very cool little tidbits come out. I remember when George Bush talked about yellow cake uranium, which was false yes. when he was leading up to the war. Yes. And, um, See, that's when State of the Unions were State of the Unions, when they were <laughs> arresting Cindy Sheehan, uh, making up uh, yellow cake. Yeah. 
So I, I enjoy it, and I think, um, you know, I, I looked at the ratings, and there's about 33 million people watched last night. So people are still tuning in. And I've only noticed now suddenly since Obama is, you know, the president for now the sixth year, Fox News and the right wing is like, why do we need State of the Unions anymore? Because they just don't want to hear a black man talk. Is that what it is? <laughs> you know. It's and, like, how dare he, you and, know? And is, uh, do you feel that he was more uh, freed up than usual? And is it because he just doesn't have to run again? Um, absolutely. Plus, you know, I always read the very smart, one of the top villagers of all time, Ron Fournier, and he was very interested in Obama's tone because that would set the whole stage, how Republicans would respond right. to him. So I was very, very self-conscious about Obama's tone. And Obama's tone was very good for the most part until Republicans started to catcall him when he when he said he wasn't running anymore. Yeah. And then Obama laid down a little hammer on them, which said he won them both. And that also offended all he the Republicans. Did. How dare he? That got him into trouble. And so as, as long as you refer to it, it's a short clip. We should uh, uh, play it here. This is clip number uh, clip number eight, G. I have no more campaigns to run. My only agenda... I know, because I won both of them. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, snap. Uh, <laughs> let, me, uh, let me ask you, uh, David Dayen, uh, actually, let me, I'll toss this to you. Uh, NBC's Chuck Todd, just before the State of the Union last night, uh, put out, I guess they had a new poll from NBC Wall Street Journal. Uh, he said that uh, 45% of Americans say they're satisfied with the state of the economy. It's the highest number in 11 years. This is since January of 2004. And then he said, let us repeat, 11 years. And he put three exclamation marks. In other words, it means the country mentally has exited the Great Recession, wrote Chuck Todd. And he uh, quoted NBC uh, Wall Street Journal uh, pollster Bill McInturf to say, quote, for the first time, we have numbers that kind of bust out of the Great Recession era. So uh, really, David Dayan, has America exited the Great Recession as you see it? I think on psychological terms, uh, to an extent they have. You know, there's this, this interesting psychological phenomenon of because the fact that gas prices are printed on giant billboards mm. and you drive by them every day, when they go lower, you just automatically think things are going better. And of course, gas prices have fallen 50 to 60 percent mm -hmm. over the last. And uh, gas price lowering is incredibly correlated with consumer confidence indicators. So has the very correlated. Has the economy actually gotten better or are you suggesting that I'm people suggesting think an, it well, they I mean, feel better about it? I mean it. there is a real impact uh, something on the order of $750 a year uh, to these lower gas prices. So yes, there is, but it, it's it's interesting how it's psychologically correlated. Uh, the economy is obviously improving. It's coming off a very low bar. Right. Um, then the other question you have to ask is who is the economy improving for? Um, we've obviously seen uh, that a, a large majority, if not all of the gains uh, post-recession have gone to the very top. Uh, and wages, which have been stagnating since 1979, have continued in that pattern and, and show very little sign of coming back for the broad majority of people. And that's a lot of what the president was speaking to last night was how do we get wages increasing or at least uh, enhance wages in some way through these middle class tax relief and, and, and things like that. Um, just to go back of, you know, you talk about tone and 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 this was kind of a legacy building speech uh 
uh, it's sort of a first draft of history speech. He's saying how far we've come and, and, and setting an agenda for, for perhaps later campaigns to the future. Uh, my only problem with that is that there are two years left in this presidency. Right. And actually going into the speech, the one thing I wanted to hear was, uh, and I would have given back every single policy proposal if I only heard, I promise to veto any bill that is a must-pass bill that's attached with these unrelated policy riders. Uh, yeah. Because this is the way in which Republicans uh, have already and plan to in the future get their ideological priorities passed through this Congress. Uh, we saw it on the year-end budget bill, the Crom. Yeah, not only has he not said that, he actually let that stuff yes, go through he's let that Crom. And, and of yeah. course, he didn't say that. What he did say is, I will vow to veto any bills that do away with that 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 try to weaken Dodd Frank or, right. or or repeal Obamacare. He's talking about standalone bills. He's not talking about the these budget bills or a debt ceiling bill right. or these must-pass bills that end up getting these things like barnacles to a ship attached to them uh, and and then pass forward. We've seen several uh, weakenings of Dodd-Frank in both the Cromnibus and right. in this very obscure Terrorist Risk Insurance Act, which got reauthorized at the beginning of this year. So it's happened twice now. Uh, and it's going to happen over and over and over again unless some, some, some real pressure is put on the president to put a stop to it, because this is the blueprint now. Yeah, it is. And there was very little said about it. There has been very little said about it, it seems, since that happened. Uh, Digby, you wrote that the president's pitch for middle class uh, economics didn't exactly sing to you. Where did he fall short? Well, uh, you know, I'm I'm happy to address the middle class. This has been going on for a long time. And Democrats have been, you know, I think both parties like to pitch their appeal to the middle class, that everybody in America thinks they're middle class, even you know, I think anyone short of Bill Gates thinks he's a middle class person. <laughs> and people don't like to think of themselves as poor or working poor. So I think a lot of people who maybe might not qualify for middle class would actually say that they are, and maybe it's an aspirational thing. Um, but I, I think part of the problem with, I mean, for me, as. So you're you know, saying that people who are uh, wealthy think they're middle class, absolutely. and people that are poor think they may be middle class. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, people, the, America is nothing but a, you know, there's, there are no people who actually, and it's the, it, I kind of understand the people on the lower end who think that, you know, that's an aspirational thing. And maybe, you know, they're, they, they're working, they've got their kids in school, they're, they're living, uh, you know, an, uh, an all-American life. Right. Let's just put it that way. Uh, these it's these people at the top who crack me up, you know. It's, it's you know, just I only made you know three million last year, and right. you know, golly, my kids are in, and you hear this all the time. You do, my you kids do. are in private school. Right. I, you know, my my apartment. You have no idea how much an apartment in Manhattan in Manhattan costs, costs or so right. what <laughs> nannies and what I have to right. pay. You know, I mean, just getting on, you know, going out to the Hamptons all summer is just it's terribly right. exactly. <laughs> so you know, I have hardly anything left at right. the end of the right. year, and you. You hear this stuff all the time from people. So I, I think that there's, you know, I, I don't think that President Obama was pitching his his uh, uh, policies last night toward that group. In fact, quite the opposite. But nonetheless, I think that that what part of the problem is with with what he was saying is, is that I think, you know, I, I get what what David's saying about the gas prices and how that affects people. And it's and I it's absolutely true that that has a really weird over 
you know, overly. Uh, They're the only prices that you see every day. That you see every day. You have to go into a store yeah. to see the price of milk or or whatever. But you're bombarded almost like advertising mm-hmm. on, and it's a barometer, like a stock ticker for the state of the economy. And, but well, for the state of the economy, it does yeah. not necessarily it mean it doesn't. It not it it isn't necessarily, but it feels like that. Right, but to it's the also, average person driving around. Well, yeah, I mean, it's such a big now expense to to the average worker. You know, no matter where they lived, driving costs. Um, you know, I, I was recently hurt and um, I couldn't, I was physically not doing too well. And so I hired a housekeeper and um, just once a week because my mm-hmm. place was a bomb shelter after a couple of weeks. I'm sure. And um, and so when the prices got real high, I mean, she asked me, you know, for a raise because of the gas prices. Well, that's understandable. So, but big right. I'm just saying, but that's how it affects everybody. Yeah, yeah. Where where it's three dollars and fifty cents a gallon, it's no problem. It goes to four dollars, and now it's a real hurt. But so, John Amato, do they? Uh, I understand how that might reflect on the economy. Does that reflect on the president? And uh, you know, why do people connect that to the president? And is this why uh, his poll numbers? They say uh, actually the. The, the media went to great lengths to point this right. out before mm-hmm. the uh, s- uh, speech last night, that his uh, poll numbers have gone up about 10 points in the last month. Is that all attributed to people driving by gas stations? Well, yeah, it's Why a, did it's, this happen? It's a big help. But, you know, the way our, our media is set up and the political system, what's ever happening in the country, good, bad and different, Correct. it all for, the president gets the credit or gets the blame no matter what. So the fact is the stock market is you know, super high. Um, he gets credit for that, whether his policies had an effect on it or not. Uh, yeah. Also, I mean, the, the, the president over the last month has uh, instituted uh, a number of policies that uh, base Democratic voters have appreciated, whether it's the policy ideas that he's put out there around community colleges, around sick leave and things like that, or the actual things that he's done, whether it's uh, promoting uh, and endorsing uh, Title II class reclassification on net neutrality, mm-hmm. really impor- endorsing a very strong version of net neutrality, or uh, you know some of the other things have been done, the immigration order. I think or that, was like that. Yeah, yeah, it was huge. Yeah, and I think oh, if yes. you if you if you looked into the crosstabs of most of these uh, polls that show the president. Uh, his approval rating going right. up. I do think that that a lot of that right. is kind and of if gridlock is supposed community. to be this this major uh, like the number one problem that people think is is happening in the country more than the economy by some polls, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that he's getting something done is an example of uh, why people would would gravitate to going back to support. And whether he's getting something done or that uh, people feel he's getting something done, which is, I guess, why they talk about uh, consumer confidence and does not necessarily uh, uh, tie to the actual numbers. There's a dark side to these plunging gas prices, and it's around deflation and and also like a probable recession in places like Texas. And uh, climate uh, change. Yeah. yeah. Other than that. And and speaking of dark sides, (laughs) let's try to move to some uh, some four policy issues here. Um, Heather Digby-Parton, you uh, said that you were a little surprised at the reaction uh, to his request for authorization for use of force with ISIS or ISIL. Let me play uh, very uh, quickly that clip because there was also an interesting ad lib that he threw in at the end. Clip number three. And tonight I call on this Congress to show the world that we are united in this mission by passing a resolution to authorize the use of force against ISIL. We need that authority. Oh, did you hear that? 
we need that authority. Sorry. That was thrown in there, and that was not actually in the in the written part of the speech. So, uh, does he need authority to go after ISIL? Because he certainly hasn't gotten it, yeah. and he's uh, certainly going after them. So, uh, what was that all about, and why were you surprised by the reaction? Well, I think uh, you know, I I personally, the, my theory about all this is that the Congress will give him the authority if he wants it. Mm-hmm. I have never seen a situation where they haven't, and I don't expect that. ISIL or ISIS or whatever right. of all things is going to be the place where they draw the line. I mean, that's just absurd. So they will give him authority if he wants it. Now, the question is, you know, this came up before mm-hmm. and he asserted his authority as presidential authority under the original uh, authorization Iraq, for yeah. military force from uh, 2001, yeah, from three, uh, 2001 yeah. right? Was it the Iraq? Uh, I think it was the Iraq or I the think. Afghanistan. Well, it, either way, either or way, both. it's a decade-old yeah. yeah. authorization. <laughs> at this either point. way or both, right. he, it seems he, to include yeah. the whole Middle East. But right. yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's a blanket he, uh, authorization. Well, it is. It is. It is. Yeah. That's it's, what that's he's how using it's it for. Yeah. yeah, and and I think everybody was perfectly happy to let him do that. There was a lot of you know Lindsey Graham was having a fit and John McCain was you know pounding his fist and there were a few people who were who were upset. Uh, but for the most part, I think that the Congress is very happy to have the president take responsibility for whatever was going to happen there mm-hmm. because nobody actually knew how it was going to come out. What I thought was interesting last night was the fact that when he directly presented this at this moment, which is right on the heels of what happened in France, and at the moment when everybody on the right is having a complete hysterical meltdown over the threat of, of Islamic fundamentalist terrorism, uh, that the the applause was so tepid. Mm. I you know I just thought the word ISIL would make them jump out of just. their seats and you know rend their garments on national well, television. You know, I so think I was what, a little surprised. I, I you know it seems to me that what's going on is uh, the president because both uh, the Republicans have been saying if he asks us for authorization, if he actually writes it down, tells us what he wants, we'll pass it. Uh, and then you've got the White House saying why don't they pass it? But he's not writing it down because. He doesn't want to have uh, something written down. Exactly. Right now, he gets to do whatever he wants. And on the other side of the uh, coin, it seems like the Republicans don't have to take responsibility when things go poorly. So nobody wants to touch this thing. Is is that the sense you get, John Amon? Yeah, I mean, he's just, you know, pulling all our troops out. Does he want to now send troops back in and start a whole other conflict? Right. Um, you know, so that's, that's not part, – part of his legacy is, you know – drawing down all the troops and getting them out of Iraq and Afghanistan. So does he want to send, you know, what is he supposed to do? Uh, You know, I was listening to Bill O'Reilly and it's like, Obama just doesn't know how to take care of the jihad. You know, it's like he just doesn't have a plan for the jihad. Well, what is the plan? I mean, what is, how do you effectively go after these groups? I mean, if, if a country doesn't want to defend itself, there is nothing we can do. So we've trained all these people in Iraq and Afghanistan. If they don't want to take care of their own security, I mean, there's an ocean between. I mean, how is America or any country supposed to then ensure victory, however you want to describe victory? So we should get out of there completely and just let it burn. Well, um, I think we can do some things, but not send in battalions of troops and bombs. And uh, it, it, we've seen already there's, since we started these wars that they do nothing. There's there's no appetite for that. I mean, I, I, I think that if if 
the president tomorrow said, I'm sending 100,000 troops to Iraq, you may get that congressional uh, pushback that, that has never happened before. Well, well, there's no chance he's going to. <laughs> exactly. He's not going and to. For that it's reason. Not, yeah. Which is why they all want to look tough. But they right. don't actually want to put it in writing. They don't actually right. want to. Want and to, they don't know what to do. It's I mean, the same honestly, with Congress, too. I mean, they, they're completely happy to have the president conduct foreign policy without them having and to then they could just, do anything but lob, you know. And they could just complain about what he's doing. from the sidelines. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, I got to take a quick break here. Uh, we are in studio live with Digby. Uh, I was going to say D-Day, but I'll say Dayan, <laughs> Amato, and Doyen. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, uh, come back with more of the progressive State of the Union right here on Pacifica Radio. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. See, here I am on the road again. There I am up on the stage. Here I go. Playing star again There I go Turn the page Welcome back. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, joined in studio with the great Heather Digby Parton, the great David Dayan, the great John Amato, and of course, see, I was going to say the lovely Desi Doyen, and that sounds like I'm speaking down to you. The beautiful Desi. She is beautiful, but she's also great as well. Thanks for saying so. Well, that's the least I could do. Uh, And of course, you will be joining us uh, with the Green News Report coming up in a bit, so stay tuned for that. Okay, Uh, we we need to talk about uh, GQ up number 15 here. Uh, This was the response, one of... I think there was five different Republican responses last night. Um, there was literally the, the official the official Republican one, the Spanish language one, which was supposed to be a translation of Joni Ernst's speech, but they added uh, the guy who did it added stuff about immigration. Where reform, she, like pro-reform yeah, stuff. Yeah. Pro-reform stuff. Yeah, we need to work w- with the president on uh, immigration Sneaky. reform. See what they did there? They pulled, remember the old Yasser Arafat? Yeah. He used to say, <laughs> <laughs> right? He would say one thing and uh, to the Palestinians. Anyway, so that's what the Republicans did, plus Rand Paul, uh, Ted Cruz, and... Oh, some other yachts Ryan gave up. Ryan, tea Party guy. Tea Party guy. Uh, here, though, uh, is uh, the most puzzling uh, piece of uh, the official response to the State of the Union last night. Growing up, I had only one good pair of shoes. So on rainy school days, my mom would slip plastic bread bags over them to keep them dry. But I was never embarrassed because the school bus would be filled with rows and rows of young Iowans with bread bags slipped over their feet. What was that even about? That's freshman <laughs> Iowa Senator Joni Ernst uh, and uh, what, what, what should be called the bread bagger speech. Uh, anybody want to take a stab uh, at what she was getting at there? Well, first of all, it's wrong, right? I mean, uh, I think Liz Winstead brought this up, that you don't put them on the outside of the shoes, you'll fall. Well, you, you put know them what? on the inside of your shoes, yes, I saw and her. then they'll actually insulate. 
you're like so that was that was a sort of an impossibility no i actually you know what i i've i saw liz's tweet on that and she might be right that probably makes more sense it's like putting your tarp inside the tent instead of outside but uh i remember that uh, we used to put the bags on the outside so jeez she did yeah yeah but see i'm from missouri she's from iowa <laughs> i guess that's what all of us idiots do in the midwest <laughs> Uh, and I think uh, Liz well, Wynn says from, from Minnesota. Minnesota. Maybe they're smarter <laughs> up there. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. As they go north, they and, get a little... And uh, John Amato, uh, as you were playing that, uh, as we were playing that clip, uh, you showed what she was actually wearing uh, last night. Uh, yeah, it was, the... it's kind of funny. This morning on Fox News, uh, Gretchen Carlson was doing a segment, and the focus was uh, Joni Ernst's uh, speech, you know, the re- response. And so instead of talking about whatever substance she might have, she opened it up by describing her shoes. And it was just very bizarre. And then she showed a picture, which I have on my website, and it's like the the, the Camus heels. And yeah, they went on and on about camouflage. Not Camus. How is Camo. Camo. Camouflage. Camouflage. Heels, which, by the way, are the ugliest shoes that anyone has ever worn. They're not camouflage boots. Yeah. They're camouflage boots. Pumps. You should see the Camus. Camus, the exactly one that what I existentialist Albert <laughs> Camus, Camus, Camus are fabulous. Yeah. Exactly, uh, Desi Doyen. They uh, apparently doctored uh, the speech a bit on the Republican House website. Um, they 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 called it their enhanced version of the State of the Union, but they cut out stuff from the speech. Yeah, they cut out the part about climate change. And then they said that they didn't understand how that could possibly have happened. Oops. Somebody pointed it out to them. I think it was Think Progress that discovered it. And uh, once it was pointed out to them, then they said, oh, we have no idea how that happened. Yeah, here's the question. It was inadvertent, uh, they said. Uh Uh, We are working with YouTube to figure out what happened. Here's what happened. Clip number 14 is what they didn't include in the uh, Republican State of the Union posting on their own website. No challenge poses a greater threat to future generations than climate change. I've heard some folks try to dodge the evidence by saying they're not scientists, that we don't have enough information to act. Well, I'm not a scientist either. But you know what? I know a lot of really good scientists at NASA and at NOAA and at our major universities. And the best scientists in the world are all telling us that our activities are changing the climate. And, and, yeah. and, you know, of course, the very next day, today, mm-hmm. uh, in the Senate, there was a sense of the Senate resolution right. uh, that whether or not climate change is, is man-made. Real. No, it was no, whether there was it one was on real, real, and that did pass. Right. But then there was another one on whether it was, uh, you know, if humans were contributing to it. Exactly. And 49 out of 54 GOP senators said no. Wow. Said no. Yeah. 49? 49, including John McCain. Oh, my God. Um, that, you guys, that just happened about now. You guys set your uh, sights too high. The fact that they uh, said that it was happening should be enough. You should be happy with that. <laughs> Apparently, it was 98 to 1 yes, that so it that, is happening. That passed. It's just that we have nothing to do with it, according to 49 Which senators. means we can't do anything about it, right. which is what they're— this, you know, I really have to say I'm confused by this. I'm confused by the fact that the— right-wingers are so adamant about this and getting more so over time. I mean, it was just, it was like five or six years ago, many more people on the right, 
and in the Republican Party believed that it, that man-made climate including change was John real. McCain, exactly. including Sarah Palin. Back they ran in 2008. on that. Yeah, and and now it's become this article of faith on the right that this is absolutely not true. And I, I mean, I understand that they love their their oil company donors and that the Koch brothers. That's it. Isn't that are, it? I mean, can they really be so? That irresponsible? I mean, I, I don't think put anything past them, but I have to say this really I mean, it's just a sort of once it me. moved into the realm of politics, it automatically became sort of a reflexive thing that yeah, therefore the were against it. Right? The Koch brothers are spreading around all that, you know, Coke money that yeah. uh, they're getting, you know, all this money's flowing to deny it that mm-hmm. – well, that it's also it's profitable to deny. Yeah, it. it's certainly lucrative to do so. So that's I think part of it, and also it's become a, a banner of tribal identification. Exactly. You, know, you are not that's a member true. of the Republican Party tribe if you say that climate change is real in any fashion. Well, yeah, but it, I mean, it's obviously it's all about protecting uh, you know the profits for the uh, for the fossil fuel industry. Period. But I think that the Republicans have uh, you know come to learn in this age of Citizens United. That if they don't have the oil billionaires on their side, they lose. Now, mind you, uh, was ExxonMobil and, and and a number of the oil companies have come out. It was the American Petroleum Institute this week. Uh, MRI, it was a couple of weeks what? ago. It was yeah. in their annual report. Uh, Tom Zeller on Forbes mm-hmm. pointed this out. He said that not only did the American Petroleum Institute say in this report that climate change is real, they said it is a challenge to humankind. But then they immediately turned around and poo-pooed and said all these regulations are bad and we shouldn't do anything about it. But they did say it. And that's a change for the American Petroleum Institute, the <laughs> largest industry lobbying group for the oil industry. Yeah. You know, I, I heard a, a right wing talk show host sort of uh, respond to Obama because he said this was the biggest threat. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, how could that, you know, how could that be the, right. the greatest threat we face? Right. You know, and he just called it out. Oh, just Democrats are afraid of weather. That's that what was, they, yeah. it was just, it's just well, weather. Dismiss it. Just yeah. weather. A little cold, a lot. You have to watch a lot of Fox News over there, Crooks and Liars, don't you? You have to. You listen to a lot of right-wing radio, a lot of Fox News. That's well, let me tell you, I'm very upset at Obama yeah. because he didn't say the word Al-Qaeda. Yeah. Okay? And he, he didn't talk about radical Islam. He didn't say Islam. He didn't say Muslim. Radical Islam. And neither did Joni Ernst, by the way, in her uh, response to uh-huh. the speech last uh-huh. night. So I'm starting to think she may be uh, with the terrorists as well. I'm afraid so. All right. Uh, we got Look just at a, her shoes. See? I, mean, I know. Colonials. The camu shoes. We've got uh, just a few <laughs> few minutes here before we got to get to the... Uh, to the Green News Report. Uh, but So let's uh, do a, a little bit of lightning round here. These were uh, some um, uh, Luke Brinker put together some of the uh, best, uh, some of the, or some, I should say, some of the worst right-wing reactions last night on Twitter to the State of the Union. Uh, Luke Brinker over at uh, Salon. Um, I think one of the best had to be, um, well, uh, where was it here? Uh, a verbal waterboarding. This is Todd Starnes. Your friend, John Amato from Fox News, uh, said, I feel like we've just endured a verbal waterboarding. Uh, and by the way, uh, feel free to uh, toss out any thoughts on any of this. Kimberly <laughs> Guilfoyle, again, John Amato, your friend at Fox News, uh, says, Obama says it's time to close Gitmo. We should be expanding it. Not isn't, controversial. Isn't, aren't you supposed to say you should be doubling it? Doubling it. Isn't that it. what Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney said, it. right? 2008. 
Um, somebody can explain this to me. This was uh, this uh, crazy guy, Ben Shapiro, over at Breitbart. <laughs> well, he used to be on Breitbart. Yeah, yeah, Virgin Ben. He's not a Breitbart anymore? I, I don't think he's a Breitbart anymore. Okay. Right? I don't even know where he is. Um, he says, uh, this was in discussing Iran's nuclear program uh, from uh, Twitter, Ben Shapiro. Now Obama explains that smart foreign policy requires us to physically pleasure Iran. <laughs> Anybody know what he's talking about? Well, I'm afraid I do. <laughs> do you? Well, you can, ex- yeah, can you say it on the radio? I can you can't explain I cannot, it? No. Okay. I don't know exactly how one physically pleasures an, a country, right. but I'm assuming he Takes means, a long time. I guess. It's a big job. But yeah. he means we- Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> so he's saying we mean, we're not being tough enough to them. Oh, that yeah. We're, yeah. <laughs> we need to do something Now, really is there going to be a, uh, a, re- a resolution- Increasing sanctions on Iran, or uh, what do you think? You know, I don't know. I mean, they've, they've, there are actually some Republicans who are starting to balk on doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Flake, mm-hmm. you know, who is mm-hmm. working with the president on the Cuba initiative. Uh, I just read a thing today where he he came out and said it's not a good idea. And there have been some others who are just saying, you know, at uh, Rand Paul, mm-hmm. uh, saying this isn't a good idea. So, it, you know, it's theoretically possible that they will, uh, you know, just hold off for a yeah. while. Right? You know, hold on. I mean, it really is insane for them to do that. It's and uh, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, didn't uh, Obama say he would veto it if they did that last night? He did. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, uh, these are the kinds of policies that usually get 80 85 percent of the vote in, in, uh, and, in and Congress. It just, uh, and that he what it's still veto. veto override. With, ah, yeah, right. I see. And it, it just they don't want anything like that. I mean, they're in the middle of delicate negotiations. The last thing Absolutely. you want is a bunch of yahoos running around talking about, you know, right. <laughs> of course we more sanctions. Except you know. it was uh, wasn't it the Yahoo uh, Harry Reid who was originally talking well, about yeah. uh, letting that happen yeah. back when the Democrats controlled the Senate. Right. Speaking of it's bipartisan. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of uh, Democrats. Uh, uh, controlling the Senate here uh, are uh, no longer, I guess. Um, will anything, does anything come of what was put together, what was laid forward last night in the State of the Union? And I'm thinking because the cynic says, well, no, uh, Republicans now control the House, Republicans now control the Senate, nothing comes to pass. But, you know, when you look at something like uh, marriage equality, uh, which everyone says has occurred incredibly fast. Well, by incredibly fast, this came up as a divisive issue back in 2004, 10 years ago. So in this country, it seems, nothing happens incredibly fast. You know, the fight of marijuana has been 100 years in the making, and yet it's still now moving at a breakneck speed. So uh, doesn't a president need to bring up uh, positions like this, start talking about it? And even if it doesn't happen in the next year or two, isn't it really, really about moving the ball forward, not just to 2016, but uh, beyond? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. But you, you ask, is anything going to come to pass to the State of the Union? Mm-hmm. There's one very big thing that's probably going to come to pass against the objections of Democrats, What's and that? that's the Trans-Pacific Partnership. That is this trade agenda. Where, uh, which was probably one of the only times in the speech where Republicans all stood up and applauded and some Democrats, not all, did not. Um, they are going full bore to get uh, fast track authority for the president so he can negotiate these agreements mm-hmm. without the possibility for them being amended after the fact. They just can be ratified without a filibuster, uh, up or down vote. 
And uh, he is uh, in a fairly good position to get it against the objections of a lot of Democrats and the rank and file and unions who uh, have seen what happened with NAFTA and realize that this isn't even really a free trade deal. This is about uh, getting a, a, a ceiling on regulation, uh, both financial regulation and uh, workplace regulation, workplace standards, environmental standards. Uh, that countries who are signatories to the agreement could never go above. And so the crappy stuff will get done. The stuff that uh, Democrats yeah. are yeah, against yeah. is the stuff that will get done. Let me play very quickly a quick clip number 12 uh, on exactly that. While he didn't say the uh, TPP or the Trans-Pacific Partnership, he made this reference to trade deals last night. Clip number 12. Look, I'm, I'm the first one to admit... I'm the first one to admit that past trade deals haven't always lived up to the hype. And that's why we've gone after countries that break the rules at our expense. But 95% of the world's customers live outside our borders. We can't close ourselves off from those opportunities. More than half of manufacturing executives have said they're actively looking to bring jobs back from China. So let's give them one more reason to get it done. Is is there anything there? What what is it? How are we closed off from the from the world? Yeah, we're not. I mean, uh, the point is is that tariffs are very very low right now, historically low. Uh, tariffs, and tariffs in right. terms of you know, right. trade barriers right. or, or or protections. Yeah, uh, this deal has very little to do with that. Mm-hmm. It's about, uh, as I said, setting a ceiling on regulation and giving. Corporations, the ability to sue governments if they break uh, past those ceilings. Right. There's a thing called investor state dispute resolution, which would allow a corporation to sue in an independent a special court, court. to That's sue right. a, spe- a country in a special court for money that they think they could have gained if the regulation was not in place. Well, corporations are people now, so it makes sense. Yeah. They have their own courts. Well, they have their, yeah, people with special courts, with unlike special special you courts. and I. Uh, in, uh, in, uh, 20, They're special people. In 2013, uh, the, uh, President Obama called for raising the federal minimum wage. He did so again in 2014. He did again last night. But in 2013 and 2014, uh, when Democrats controlled the Senate, uh, they didn't hold a vote at all in 2013. They held one in 2014. So I'm not sure how things are going to get much better uh, with Republicans now in charge. Uh, Boy, I could go on all day with you guys. Uh, Heather Digby Parton, uh, delightful to have you here. Uh, Check out her work, as always, at Salon.com and, of course, digbysblog.blogspot.com. And you can find her on the Twitters at Digby. 56. 56. Also, David Dayen over at Salon.com and everywhere else. Not a day goes by when I don't find him publishing. You can find him at Twitter's at D. Dayen. And, of course, the great John Amato from CrooksAndLiars.com. You can and should follow him on the Twitter's at John Amato. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. You bet. A lot of fun. Okay, Desi Doyen, we're melting for you. we got to get right to the Green News Report because we're running late as ever. And as I said, I believe this may be our grimmest one ever. But don't worry, everything is awesome. Yes. Kick it, G.
The weather and climate that you've grown up with is not going to be the weather and climate you're going to experience or your children are going to experience. Confirmed again. 2014 breaks the record for hottest year. Headline in the New York Times, ocean life faces mass extinction. Is that bad? Yeah, that's bad. More new studies warn human impacts threaten our life support systems. Plus, any glimmer of hopefulness in all this? A glimmer of hopefulness in all this. There better be all of those glimmers and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I'm just going to... My religious beliefs are what one of many things that inform me that we couldn't have any impact on the climate the planet the globe creation no matter what no matter how much we wanted to oh thanks for that rush limbaugh very persuasive this is your green news report Uh, okay i'm gonna leave it there Okay, Desi Doyen, the climate change deniers, since the news came out last week from NOAA and NASA that I know you're going to talk about in a second, the climate change deniers seem to be besides themselves. They don't know what to think. They're making stuff up. They're claiming, oh, NASA says they're not really sure 2014 was the hottest year. It's kind of amusing to watch. Were it not really kind of scary? Yeah, it is kind of scary because they're doing everything they can to stop any kind of climate action policy from being implemented. And yeah, and that's what this is really all about, trying to defend the fossil fuel industry. And that's whether some of these dopes realize it or not. Okay, tell us, Des, what is it that all these right-wingers are now flipping out about? Okay, it is confirmed. 2014 was the hottest year in recorded history for the planet since record-keeping began in 1880. That is according to both NASA and NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, confirming previous findings by the Japan Meteorological Agency. The long-term trend of rising global temperatures is undeniable, according to Gavin Schmidt, director of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies here on PBS NewsHour. What we're seeing is a long term trend that uh, is producing record warm year after record warm year. Um, And we can attribute those changes mainly to uh, the increase in greenhouse gases, particularly carbon dioxide uh, that we've been putting into the atmosphere. And so we have a fingerprint of change that's associated with human activities. And that fingerprint fits the evidence that we're seeing in the data. And of course, just to point out to the deniers that even though the eastern U.S. had a really cold winter, the western U.S. and the rest of the world saw record warmth. Five months last year all had all-time new temperature records, and the oceans were also record warm around the world. But wait, there's more. An international team of researchers warned that humanity is, quote, eating away at our own life support systems at a rate unseen in the past 10,000 years. Oh, aren't you just little Miss Smiley nothing but good news today? Yeah, sorry. These two major new studies measure humanity's impact, and they warn that we're pushing the boundaries of the planet's life support systems in four areas. Those four areas are climate change, biodiversity loss, nutrient pollution from fertilizers, and ocean acidification. And the studies warn that we are losing on all 
all four of those fronts? Yes. For example, they say that we use eight times more fertilizer than we used in 1950, and a lot of that is running into the oceans, and that's changing the oceans. And that's the oceans facing extinction that we talked about in the teaser? Yeah, and this is another new study that bluntly warns humans are on the brink of causing a mass extinction event in the oceans. This is so much fun, I don't know what to do with myself. (laughs) Well, it's published in the journal Science. It's the first to combine multiple lines of research into one comprehensive analysis. The researchers point to the expansion of industrial fishing, pollution, seafloor mining, which is just now getting started, and ocean acidification caused by the burning of fossil fuels. So what was that glimmer of hope that you had promised all of us? Ah, uh, yes, there is some good news. There is still time to repair the damage. One of the researchers told the New York Times, quote, we are lucky in many ways. The impacts are accelerating, but they're not so bad that we can't reverse them. You mean if we get to work and Congress takes action and we take care of these problems? Uh, yes. Yeah, not such a glimmer of hope there, Des. But I have more. I don't know if I can take any more. No, no, this is good news. The solar industry, for example, is booming. A new solar industry jobs report says that more people are employed by the solar industry now than by the oil and gas drilling industry, and that solar jobs now outnumber coal jobs. Okay, so there's that. I'll take it. That's about all the joy we've got for today, isn't it? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) For much more joy, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download us anytime via TuneIn, Stitcher, or iTunes. And find us and follow us on the Facebook and the Twitters, where Desi will cheer you up at Green News Report. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Green News Report. Everything is See? Told you everything was awesome. My thanks to producer Desi Doyen, to our board operator G, and of course my guests, Heather Digby-Parton, David Dayan, and John Amato. We'll be back with you same Brad time, same Brad channel next week. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog and of course at bradblog.com. Good night, world. Good night, world.